Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Hello and welcome to This is Critical. I'm Virginia Heffernan. This is Critical is the show where we question all of your assumptions about culture, like that you hate slime. When, if you like risotto, oysters, lotion, marshmallows, conditioner, butter, aspic, clay, bubble wrap, Tempur-Pedic mattresses, I don't like those, ponds, you like slime. Because slime these days can be cloudy, slick, slippery, putty-y, thick and glossy, buttery, slightly sticky, gel-like, or even crunchy. Today, yes, we're talking slime. And how somehow the non-Newtonian polymer, that's right, it doesn't do what we expect it to do. It's not liquid or solid. It's non-binary. It subverts the Newtonian dominant paradigm. Slime has made a huge comeback. Today I'm doing a beginner slime video. 10 easy, no glue, no borax slime. Mountain Dew Code Red Slime. Super clear and stretchy slime. I started off with an icy slime base and then added an entire bottle to it and mixed it all up. I thought I would take it back to the basics for all my newer slime viewers. So today I'm going to be taking... For several years now, it's been rampaging through Instagram and TikTok, and it's considered part of a new set of highly sensory toys that soothe and delight the body with their texture, added scents, and even sound. Yes, the right slime can produce the right sounds on the right nervous system and create tingles that I'm told begin on the scalp and move down the back of the neck. Meaning ASMR, the autonomous sensory meridian response that has also swept social media in the last five to ten years. Slime with its ASMR, is even considered therapeutic by some people. One of my favorite places to experience slime is at the Slumu Slime Institute of America, an august place in Soho in New York. And I take my daughter there all the time. I love this place. They're not a sponsor of us, but I am a fan. Now, I spend a lot of time at Slumu, and that's not like one of those podcast exaggerations. I've been through it maybe seven times. I've got a subscription to their slimes. You know, I could even make you, if you needed it, I could even make you a custom slime. I'm almost a slime fluencer myself, and I'm just going to be upfront about it. So if you don't get it, okay. But depending on how you're wired, you could be missing out by ignoring slime. And even if you do get it, you're definitely missing out on a deep dive into slime. Not the right time to say deep dive, but I'm not going to back off. 
So today my guest is Dan Engber, a senior editor at The Atlantic. Now, I learned recently that Engber, whose work I've long admired, is a scholar of slime with a subspecialty in 80s green slime. Now, of course, I myself grew up with that stuff, but I focus more on contemporary slime of the 2010s and 2020s. So I'm hoping to ask Dan about the evolution of this mind-boggling substance from primordial ooze to the nuclear waste of the Cold War era to cream-scented cannoli slime in pink containers, the kind I like. Dan, welcome to This is Critical. Thank you. So you and I share an interest, nay, a passion for (laughs) slime. Why is slime still so popular in toys and popular culture decades after we thought its relevance had passed? I don't think it's been uh, continuously popular. I think there was a slime winter and now it is slime spring again. (laughs) So... Let's just let's just define our <laughs> terms. I think slime was enormously popular in the 70s and 80s and maybe into the 90s and then less so for a while. And now all of a sudden in the last six years, it's been extremely popular again. So tell me about the slime moment we're in right now. The slime moment we're in right now is very different from 80s slime or 70s slime for many obvious reasons, but one of them is just like it has glitter in it. It has little bits and pieces in it. It's it's different colors. And um, it seems like a lot of the slime fluencers are doing kind of like food-related slime mm-hmm. art, mm-hmm. like making slime into like fake foods. Yes, yes. You're definitely making it smell like a cupcake or like Fruit Loops which is truly a magnificent confection of a smell, by the way. Whereas I guess the slime of the 80s was usually green and you weren't going to eat it. Yeah, but well, the shift from green slime to pink slime, I noticed that came up a few different times in the history of slime. So in 1977, Mattel kind of created the modern slime boom by coming up with this slime toy. The product manager at the time was a woman. Um, I don't know if that's relevant, but it was interesting talking to her and, and hearing her description of how the at the first like test run of slime with a bunch of kids brought into Mattel, how it was just so different from any other product that she had you know, overseen the testing of like Hot Wheels or something, that just as soon as the kids saw the slime, it was like total bedlam in the product testing room. Huh. So that was green slime. Then a year later, Mattel was like, oh, what a huge hit we have. We need to, you know, do slime Mm 2.0. And they came up with this follow-up product, which had like gooey worms in it. And um, this Mattel product manager, who was in her 80s when I spoke to her, I mean, but you remembered this stuff. And and she said, well, you know, that didn't work. I think the worms were a bad idea. But it kind of came up in passing that they changed the color to this pinkish purple. And and then, I, I don't know, it seemed like maybe that might have been a factor and suddenly the slime was not the right slime. Because slime mm. as it's represented in toys and pop culture um, for the next 10 years is green. Always green. Always green. Is it the color of snot? Like, is that what sort of it's supposed to be? No, no I think, I mean, maybe there's like a, a snottiness to it, but it's like a, a neon green. It's like the color of, of radiation. 
Yes, um, I, it, right. It's like it's like Homer Simpson's little bar of of nuclear waste or whatever that is. Um, right. Right. Tell us about the nuclear slime uh, axis. We'll call it the axis. You know, slime was associated with with toxic waste. Um, the Three Mile Island accident was 1979. The anti nuclear activism movement was just getting very big in the beginning of the 80s, right as this sort of slime thing was developing. Mm -hmm. And slime, you know, one face of it is in toys for kids, but then there's also this kind of slime aesthetic um, in, you know, the world of punk rock. There's... Mm. um, Oh, like uh, Guar. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. I've been to see Guar in concert, (laughs) and this is going to be the first time I use this expression. I was like doused in stunt jizz. Yes, stunt jizz. <laughs> that is the thing. Uh, it is. Oh my God. I just got an exclamation point in the chat from the producer on that one. But anyway, yes, yeah, stunt jizz was viscous. It wasn't real jizz. And Guar was known for dousing their audience in what were supposed to seem like revolting bodily fluids. What color was it? Um, it was white. Okay. It was clear and white. <laughs> yes, exactly. Boy slime. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so two movies came out in 1984, which I again I think is a very important year for slime, 80 slime. The first was Toxic Avenger. Did you ever see that? I did not. It's a movie from Trauma Team and Lloyd Kaufman. It's a, like a cult horror comedy, I guess. Okay. And it's a superhero who is a nerd in New Jersey who falls into a vat of radioactive waste um, and turns into the toxic Avenger, like a mutant weirdo who is then going to clean up corruption in his city. There are different kinds of corruption that are represented in the movie, Mm -hmm. but it's also like environmental, you know, it's, it's the corruption of industrial polluters. Like that's explicit in the movie. I think it's sort of like an, um, the idea of a, you know, he's sort of like an underdog superhero because he emerges from garbage, right? And then he's from from garbage from New Jersey. And then he's he's sort of like turning the garbage back on the polluters, on the, you know, very clean fat cats who are creating the garbage and dumping it on the rest of us. And I think mm. that's, you know, part of what was the aesthetic and, you know, Nickelodeon slime of that time too. It's just sort of like we're all, as one um, Nickelodeon historian described it to me, it's like kids are are relating to the idea that kids on the show are getting slimed because they feel like they're getting, you know, slimed by the world around them, by their parents, by their teachers. It also may be a way of sort of domesticating the toxic. Like, was it the 80s when people started labeling toys non-toxic? Just like all the time you saw that things had to be non-toxic consciousness about lead poisoning, consciousness about, you know, swallowing things that could make you sick. I think the idea that kids get to hold this toxic thing that parents are afraid of makes it, adds to the mischief of it. Right. Yes. Non-toxic goo. It's also the period when sandboxes start to disappear because of the fear that there's asbestos in the sandboxes or crack pipe fragments or whatever. But I I think, you know, Toxic Avenger was not a movie for little kids it was a movie for probably like teenage boys Mm. and it's supposed to be subversive like that's one element of how slime is playing out 
at all age groups. In Toxic Avenger, it's really like activist slime almost, but it's also a joke. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, how did we go from toxic activist slime to glitter cupcake slime? That's next. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. with Dan Engber, science journalist and slime enthusiast. So Dan, the slime of the 80s was green and looked toxic. Unlike today's slime, which we'll get to, 80s slime was a, a kind of a boy's thing or a boy-coded thing. What's your take? That's really interesting. I, I hadn't thought about it that way, and I would love to talk about that more. So, I mean... By the time we get to the 80s, I think that we've hit sort of a certain point in that era of slime, kind of the end stage of slime, where it was about to, you know, go massively mainstream in 1984, slime as toy. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I don't know if I would think of it as particularly a boy thing. It was like a gross little kid thing. Hmm. Cabbage Patch Kids were enormously popular. And then there was kind of like the slime version of Cabbage Patch Kids called Garbage Pail Kids, which in in Garbage Pail Kid lore, um, they emerged from like a vat of slime. Oh, I didn't realize that. Primordially ooze. Yeah, exactly. But they're just like gross out versions of, you know, the regular Cabbage Patch Kids. And I think slime as a toy was supposed to be just like, oh, it's gross. It's garbage. It's poop poop. So it's kind of like that, which I don't think is, you know, I think girls and and boys alike enjoy potty humor. I do too. And when we get to talking about Slumu Slime Institute of America, where I spend a lot of time, and that's not like a (laughs) a just like podcast exaggeration. I know a lot of slime fluencers, so (laughs) I don't know if you want my autograph or to have me make like a cloud slime for you or something, but I... I'm almost a slime fluencer myself, let's admit it. Um, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a minute. I think it's a little bit gendered. I think it's very interesting that Slumu, the mascot of Slumu, the Slime Institute of America, which is based in Soho, New York, is non-binary. This thing is called a non-Newtonian fluid. It's a kind of polymer, the slimes that we're talking about. And, and here's where the turn of the screw comes in. I think the same reason boys play with swords is the reason girls play with slime. Discuss. Go on. (laughs) No, you discuss. (laughs) Tell me more. I think 
that some of the, oh, it's so gross, you know, Cold War era anxiety about, or excitement around slime, but it being gross. It's sort of a girls have cooties, kissing, mush, and sexual, perhaps vaginal idea of what slime might be. That it's not like hard and geometrical and penisy and phallic. It's like, wow, like fall into something that's confusing. And you could either be grossed out by it or at Slumu, it's like this soothing ASMR kind of masturbatory thing that is almost always like pinkish in hue. So since the world has spent a long time talking about swords and boys and phallic stuff, I think that it's worth visiting slime as this kind of potentially feminine toy. So 80 slime is, you know, boys grossed out by like vaginal secretion slime. Yes. And now 2020 slime is kind of like girl power reclaiming the slime. Yeah, maybe female erotics or non-binary erotics. Mm -hmm. I mean, Slumo themselves is non-binary. And the whole thing defies categories. That's how at least they talk about it on the Slumu website. So Slumu, their mascot, isn't a liquid or a solid. It's not round or straight. It's not a girl or a boy. I'm going to tell you something funny, actually, about Slumu. Slumu offers, you know, on the way out of the gift shop, they, they sell all kinds of slimes. And as you're leaving, they'll be like, are you sure you don't want to travel slime for the taxi or the walk home? Like, you need to be holding a slime at all times. And then another one, they turn to me because I'm there with my daughter and say, and mom, do you want a couch slime? Moms love couch slimes because they're okay on the couch, (laughs) right? And I was just like, well, they have thought of everything because like, why is it that the stickiness is pleasing to a kid and just not to an adult? I don't know why that is, but I think that that is a really interesting line. Right, but it also shows how in kind of the commercialization of slime, it has to be tamed and and made like acceptable to parents. If little kids are yes. going to be playing with it, it has to. It actually has to be non toxic. It has to not stain the couch. Like that's what was sort of playing out in the eighties too. You know, Toxic Avenger is not a parent approved movie, but Ghostbusters was, and Ghostbusters had a very different attitude about what slime was. And I think that's that's significant. Um, in Ghostbusters, it's the New York City, um, you know, environmental protection official who's the villain, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's and the main characters are using, like, explicitly, they're using nuclear power to save New York from an invading army. It's like the most Reagan-y movie ever. And I, it wasn't until I rewatched it you know, a couple of years ago or whatever it was, 2016, that I realized that I'd seen the movie many times as a kid and I rewatched it and I, my, you know, my mouth was hanging open at just all of the dialogue. It's just really directly addressing that. We're going to take another break. Coming up, what or who is behind the slime essence? this gooey explosion of slime love? After the break, Dan serves up his most cynical take on the slime of today. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are Golden Retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. 
more popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. science journalist Dan Engber to get to the bottom of the vat of slime. Okay, Dan, I like to think of slime as something subversive. I like to see it as this strange, pleasurable thing that some people get and some people don't. And you may know that the founder of Slumu was a woman in middle age who wanted to calm herself during her divorce a difficult divorce. And she started playing with slime and she found something about it, the ASMR of it, the, I don't know, the texture of it, the feeling of it, the surprises of it, the primitiveness of it, incredibly soothing. And the the principle of SLUMU, the Slime Institute of America in Soho, New York, this pretty much the world headquarters, the Davos of slime, <laughs> is um, <laughs> is that you that people's brains relax with this stuff. So rather than being a gross-out thing, it's sort of wanted for its, you know, comfort providing, and it's like a stuffed animal or something. I am happy to hear this, but I'm kind of a slime skeptic right now. Okay. I'm not fully buying the current slime trend. (laughs) I mean, even just the way the present slime boom has been described, like there's lots of coverage of it as this, you know, in in 2016 and 2017 and 2018, like, where did this even come from? It's this grassroots Mm. movement. It was these like DIY influencers on YouTube. And then it was a thing on Etsy and everyone's making their own slime and sure it's big business for Elmer's glue, but it's not like there's a big slime company like Mattel in 1977. Yeah, And yet the... This all happened right after the Ghostbusters reboot came out, the all-women version of Ghostbusters in 2016. And that was when I was writing my piece for Slate about the history of slime. And there was just so much marketing stuff around that. They were like trying to make slime happen. And in fact, that Mm. piece for Slate, I ended like reflecting on whether I thought this would work. And I was completely wrong. I said, no, it's not going to work. And I had my reasons in the last two paragraphs of that story for saying that. But it's I could not have been more wrong in that it was like a matter of months after that piece came out that Slime was back. And I just, I don't know, I find it just like awfully convenient that you had this huge marketing effort to, to bring back Slime and then it's back as a grassroots thing. I'm saying I think that slime was astroturfed in 2016. I, okay. I mean, I think, I, I think we're getting to the bottom of what I maybe call slime on. 
<laughs> frankly, um, which is that like there was botnets um, that promoted it. But wait a second, did Ghostbusters the movie brand its own slime? I mean, I just there there was like slime colored neon slime cooler sodas that were like co-branded with the movie. Okay. There was, I mean, I don't think it's that unusual for a movie for kids to come out and there's a whole bunch of co-branded products, but I mean, it just like raised the question for me at the time, like are are kids going to buy slime in 2016? Because I don't think they had so much for, you know, 15 or 20 years. And I thought, Mm -hmm. no, but but yes, but not through those branding exercises, but through the slime fluencers. But, you know, some of the stuff about the way it's discussed, like there have been a bunch of profiles of like slime entrepreneurs, uh, including one in People magazine from just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's about a, a girl who's 13 years old. Um, oh, yes. When she started her slime yes. business and now is like a wealthy slime entrepreneur who employs her parents. And <laughs> slime entrepreneur. You, yeah, you pulled that off. You read that story and she doesn't seem like some punk rock figure. She doesn't seem like Guar. She seems like Alex P. Keaton. I mean, she's like, well, I always knew I wanted to, you know, start my own business. And I thought about selling stickers and my father is, you know, likes investing. So I was interested in investing. And then when I was 13, I hit on this amazing idea and I started selling slime. And then I started looking on TikTok for different trends and, you know, viral memes that I could do a slime version of. It doesn't seem to me like the spirit of early 80s pre-Ghostbusters slime, it seems like... um, (laughs) Okay, Dan, I love that you are just like, Mattel, the multinational, (laughs) instead of some little drippy, small business teenager trying to make a living in this world. You're just like, give it back to the Fortune 500 companies where it belongs and take it out of the hands of children who make it themselves, if I remember that People Magazine article, uh, right? And who like combine things in interesting ways and aren't just like, it's made with great love and care. I mean, you hate that little girl. I mean, I (laughs) I think you don't like small business and America is about small business, Dan. Um. (laughs) Um, I love that little girl and what she represents. I mean, there was also a, a 2017 New York Times profile of the slime queen who at that time was making $200,000 a month um, from the slime boom. She wasn't selling slime. She was getting like sponsored by Coca-Cola and whatnot. You're right. There's not, (laughs) if if (laughs) Coca-Cola is paying this woman $200,000 a month, that's fine. I mean, it's not, it's not any different from Mattel selling directly to kids, but maybe it is a little different in that it's, you know, it's not so clear what's happening. But you're kind of convincing me. I guess it just there's something very appealing about this kind of DIY. Everyone make their own slime thing that's happening now. The idea that it's the ASMR element of it. The idea that it's like it's functional. It's useful. So so there was some of that you know slime you can use sensibility. At least you know 1985, 1986, 1987. Um, I found there was a lot of articles about this, you know, the marketing of slime and all these different companies getting into slime versions of their toys. And one of the interviews stuck out for me where the toy manufacturer was saying, yeah, I think it's great to do slime gross out versions of these toys because 
It helps kids confront their fears and get over them. Maybe this is just how it goes when something becomes so popular and so much money is being made on it, then, you know, people start to justify it. Whereas, you know, I think slime to me seems like very unjustifiable in, and that's what's sort of appealing about it. it is it is not not one thing nor another it has no purpose it's just weird and feels like it doesn't belong in a way that's kind of cool all right this was fantastic dan i loved talking to you about all of this thank you so much I was so excited to do this and so glad to talk to you about it. I've learned a lot about slime. I've changed my view about slime. So this is wonderful. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode of This is Critical. Make sure you don't miss next week's episode by following us or subscribing. Smash the subscribe button on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you like to listen. And if you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people learn about the show. For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at this critical pod. If you've got a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Ella Fetter and Michelle O'Brien are the producers. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and stay critical. Stitcher. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel